There's a good chance that we have misunderstood how old Moshe Rabbeinu was when he was taken back to Paro's palace as a so-called child. Rashi will illustrate to us how we make this mistake, and in doing so we'll say that there are two key factors to Moshe's development, and those two key factors speak to the two primary elements of his spiritual power and influence. Fun Pasuk, taking out of the Pasuk that says, Vayi bayom Heyman, it was at that time, Vayi dal Moshe, Vayi Tzagomer, Moshe grew up and he went out to his brothers and he saw that there was a taskmaster beating a Jewish man, Vayachas Amitri Goyim, and he killed the taskmaster. So out of that entire Pasuk, is Rashi Matik Deverta, Rashi extracts the words, Vayi dal Moshe, that Moshe grew up or matured. On his Mephorosh, and he explains as follows, doesn't it already tell us earlier that he as a child had grown up, implying, why say it again? So therefore he quotes an answer that the first time describes him growing in height and the second time in stature and prestige. What's the prestige? That Paroi appointed him to have responsibility and authority within his home. So what's bothering Rashi? What would seem simply to be Rashi's issue is the same question that Medrash has. The Torah has already told me about Moshe that he grew up. Why does the Pasuk say, and Moshe grew up again? So to that, Rashi answers. So apparently, Rashi's answering that question by saying, well, the first time was describing height, and the other was describing prestige and honor. At first glimpse, you may have been happy with that answer, but the truth is it actually really doesn't work. Because the first pasuk that says that Moshe grew up, is in the immediate context of that his mother took him and nursed him. Which obviously means that if it says then that he grew up, it means he grew up relative to the age of being nursed, which is typically 24 months maximum. After that, he grew up to become a child who was no longer dependent on his mother. He doesn't need to be nursed, which would explain why he was then taken by Paro's daughter to the palace. So that makes perfect sense in context. Now in this Pasuk, after he's already been taken to the palace, where we're told that he grows up, it's obviously a different stage of his development, a stage where he's grown up to the point that he could go and attack an Egyptian taskmaster. Surely that's a long time after he was taken to the palace. So why is it so difficult to imagine that the Pasuk says twice and he grew up? The first time he grew up from being a child who was nursed to being a, a, a toddler and the second time from being a child to becoming a teen or a young adult or whatever it was who could stand up for his people. So it cannot just simply be that Rashi's bothered by the double language because the double language actually makes sense. In addition to which there are a number of questions about how Rashi words his interpretation as well. In the Empire Shashi Gufa Daphne Fashtain, five things we have to understand. Number one, Aleph. The Derech von Rashi Pipirusha is the nature of how Rashi constructs his commentary is Vigret Filmol, something we've discussed numerous times. Nit zu Oisteichen Friedrich Schwerkeit und Posuk und dennoch Feiern He does not typically first tell us what the problem is and then offer the solution to the problem. Nor as Baal Mavur den Posuk, Mavar den Posuk, Umbederch Mamelet, Vet Feiern für die Scheine und Posuk. Usually the way Rashi does it is he gets straight into his commentary, which addresses whatever question we would have seen that Rashi had on the Pasuk. 
Why here does Rashi feel that he has to tell us the question that's bothering him? Surely we could work it out. Second of all, base. Why is it specifically that when he describes the growth from being a child who was nursing, he dafka describes growth in height? From the time that a child is weaned, all of his external limbs grow. And not only that, besides that, as kumtu vogamos, he grows in size and in weight. And he develops the capacity for speech. His mind matures. Out of all of those things, why would Rashi Dafke highlight specifically the fact that he grew in height? Why is that such a big deal? Number three, Rashi says that Paroi appointed him over his home. Where does he get that from? Gimel. From Vanet is the Hechech in Prutishon Mikra from the Mposuk. Where in the simple understanding of this Posuk is there any indication as the Gaddis Vachshivas from Moshe is Bashanu in Dembos Minho Paroi al That the greatness of Moshe is associated with being given authority within Paroi's home. Where do you see that? Especially when you consider where the Posuk is going, that Moshe then goes to see what's happening with his brothers. His mashmas is given a goddess b'shaycha se'echov. So the logic would say, as many of the, the, the commentaries do say, that his greatness was taking responsibility for his brethren, Sudid, his fellow Jews. As the Medrash says. Dalad, a technical question about the heading that, that uh, Rashi uses. At this point, we're saying that Rashi's big issue is why the word Vayigdal is mentioned for a second time, so soon after the first time, in the story of Moshe, which is unnecessary, how come then does Rashi include not only the word Vayigdal as his heading, which is the word he looks to explain, but also the word Moshe, which doesn't look like he's trying to explain. And lastly, of course, why do we have to know who said this teaching about the greatness of Moshe? We've discussed numerous times that the only time Rashi will quote the name of a source is only on the glatter. It's either to answer or to clarify a higher grade question that a more advanced student would ask. So in that case, we have to wonder, what added dimension of understanding will we get in this entire story, knowing that Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Eloi, was the person who said it? So, perhaps this is the answer. As Rashi built about Voronen, Rashi wants to be clear as the Vayigdal in Unzer Pasuk that the word Vayigdal in our Pasuk cannot just be the growth that happens over the course of time. So, not the same kind of growth. This Vayigdal is not the same category of growth that happened in the previous Pasuk where we're saying over a period of time he grew older and maturer. As is i.e. that a few years had passed. That's not what we're trying to say over here. Because it doesn't really make sense that the Torah should use such an open-ended expression. He grew up, and without telling us, and it implies that a certain amount of time went by, without giving us any clue of how much time. Therefore, Rashi says, it can't be telling us X amount of years passed, it must imply that the greatness here is not growing up, but growing prestigious.
Okay, maybe that's part of the answer, but das is not maspic, but it's not a good enough answer. While for a couple of reasons, or three reasons. Number one, Aleph. If all Rashi wants to do for us is define what the word Vayigdal means in this Pasuk, why does Rashi have to bring up the previous Pasuk? Why, which sounds like he's saying, why does the Torah repeat itself? Considering that Rashi is not explaining why Vayigdal is said twice, according to that explanation, but rather, not them shot from Vayigdal Moshin on the Pasuk. He's just defining what the word Vayigdal means in the context of our Pasuk. So leave the previous Pasuk, don't mention it, don't bring it up. Just say Vayigdal here means Gedula. Second of all, Bayes, the Birifanash and Vayigdal Ayyad as does mean to the Kaimo is Iberic. If Rashi's intention is only to explain over here that the word Vayigdal means that he grew in greatness, then what he comments about the previous Vayigdal that it means he grew in size is completely irrelevant. Surely all Rashi should be concerned with is what the Vayigdal in our Pasuk means. He doesn't have to use this Pasuk to translate what the previous Pasuk meant. All he needs to tell us is in this Pasuk it means that he became a greater person because Paroi gave him responsibilities around the house. Lastly, as the Tzvete Vayigdal is menegeach shivas vegados legedulo, if it is true that all Rashi wants us to know is that the word Vayigdal means that Moshe had grown in stature, the truth is, we don't need Rashi to explain that to us. We have precedent in the Torah where we see a person first grows in age and then he grows in greatness. We have that in the case of Yitzchak where it also says Vayigdal twice. First we're told, almost exactly like here, the child grew up Yitzchak, and he was weaned, like Moshe was weaned, according to the first Pasuk. And then, and then there's another description of how, uh, how <coughs> Yitzchak Avinu grew and became very great. And the implication of there is not age. So the first one is describing a passage of time that he grew and outgrew nursing. And Vayigdal, Bizaz Vayigomal, to the point that it was weaned. On that straight, Vayigdal is a movement from Gadas Benechos and Vechayotzevos. And it's very clear in the Pasuk that the second Vayigdal is talking about greatness in terms of his wealth and his influence. Like the Pasuk says, He had many flocks and he had great wealth. To the extent that, as Rashi points out, that people would have preferred to have the fertilizer produced by his flocks than the wealth and treasures of Avimelech. So if we know already in the case of Yitzchak that you could describe the same person as growing once age-wise and the other time greatness-wise, we could know the same thing applies to Moshe and Rashi doesn't have to tell us about it. So what we're going to discover is that Rashi is actually using this as an opportunity to explain the previous Vayigdal more than he is explaining this one because we have a misunderstanding of how old Moshe was when he was taken back to Paris Palace. So the Bir Bechol Zed, the hinge over here is the Pasuk Zokt Vayihi Bayomi Mohim Vayigdal Moshe. The Pasuk doesn't just say Moshe grew older or became greater. It says it was in those days. Those days is an important reference. Which days? Because this is so close after the Pasuk that says that Moshe had grown up to the point that he was weaned, 
Maintes, it must mean by Yom Mahim of those days, as Vayigdal Moshe is given by Yom Mahim from Freer. This other reference to Moshe growing must also be in that time period. No ensems man from Vayigdal Hayelet Vatfele Basparo Vayilolabain in close proximity to the age at which Moshe was taken by Basparo back to her palace and considered like her child. So if that's true, well, back then you're telling me that Moshe became a great, prestigious person? He was a kid. It doesn't make any sense that in the time frame, referred to in the previous passage of when he grew up, meaning just soon after he had been weaned from nursing, at that age he becomes a great, prestigious individual? doesn't make sense. The Ribes Rashi Mefarsh, therefore Rashi has to tell us that the first Vayigdal is the one we misinterpreted. We just thought Vayigdal meant he was old enough not to be nursed anymore. It means more than that. Orishan Lekoima. The first growth that's described is growth in height. Vashen Yirigdul and the second is in greatness. In other words, the Ika Chidish in them is Nitman again the Vayigdal Fulunzer Posuk. Rashi's big insight over here is not about the word Vayigdal in Arab Posuk. Vashaini Ligdullah, which describes that he became great, nor as the Vayigdal from Friedigim Pasuk Meint Lekoima. The main innovation of Rashi here is to tell us that the first Pasuk that said Vayigdal was referring specifically to height, not general growth. It's not describing the period immediately after him being weaned, which is what we would have thought. Specifically, an age at which a person starts to gain height. When a kid actually becomes tall. Rashi is highlighting over here that that Vayigdal is actually referring to years later, long after he had been weaned, when he starts to become a tall child. Ah, you're going to say, so why call him a child? It's not such a big deal that we call somebody who's already older still a child. We find, for example, Ruven referred to Yosef at 17 years old as a child. Or when they were arguing about, you know, we say, he said, I told you not to harm the, the child. He calls him the child. It was 17 years old. We find it as well with Binyamin, that Binyamin is referred to as a child when he's close to 30 years old. So it's not far-fetched to say that you refer to somebody as a child when they're already older. But what's relevant to our understanding of the whole timeline is if Horishan, the first time it says Vahigdal is referring to his height, well, if he's old enough to already become tall, he could also have some kind of prestige at that age. The second one, the second Vayigdal, goes hand in hand with the first Vayigdal because the first Vayigdal is telling us that he's already a preteen or maybe a teen. So now we know that he could actually have greatness at that point in time, and that's what Rashi wants to tell us. That's why Rashi, to get this point across, has to first explain the question. Doesn't it already tell us that he grew 
Because that's actually the part that Rashi wants to focus on, because that's where his real Chiddush is. Now that the Torah is repeated, that reconstitutes our translation and understanding of the original Vayigdal. So I have to tell you about the original Vayigdal so that you see that shift. Now you're going to say, all right, what? You know, how, how does this all work? How did he not come back to Paro's palace straight after being weaned? I mean, wasn't the whole reason that, that Batya allowed him to go to his mother, not knowing it was his mother, was in, only in order to nurse him? So the Cherokee and Fregan, you should be able to ask if a bald as Bas Paro, you hot them, you had to give him a note to the Banikayuli. Paro's daughter's entire intention of handing over the baby was so that he should be fed for those 24 months. Is we come to us, was he hot the lost? Then how, according to Rashi, could she have allowed the delay of the return of this baby to her till he was no longer a baby? It was already a, a, a grown boy. Which, as we've pointed out, is years later. How did she have the patience for so many years? Surely she wanted her baby that she had found. It's actually a really simple explanation. If she cared enough about that baby, she would have accepted the excuses given by the nurse, the nursing woman, who was actually the mother of the baby. Moshe now has her son Moshe in her hands. You can be sure she was not going to hand Moshe over to Basparo straight away as soon as he had been weaned. Needless to say, she would hold on to her own child as long as is possible after the time of having weaned him. And how would she do that? With all kinds of very rational arguments. The child is used to me. And he's become close to me. It's not healthy for him to rip him away from me and take him to the palace. He's still young. He's still impressionable. He needs to be in an environment that feels safe for him. And if Paro's daughter cared enough about Moshe, she would accept that rational argument. But once he was tall enough that he started to look like a young, a young man, those arguments no longer would work and she'd have no choice but to send him back to Paris' daughter. So if that's true, let's still try and understand. If Paris' daughter obviously wanted this child to be in her home. That's why she took him in the first place. So as we've explained, Yocheva could only delay that process as long as she could justify a reason for Moshe to stay with her. As far yeled is wichtig zu bleiben bei dem Menekes v'chulei. By arguing that it's better for the child to be with me. Sein dek stark zugibund und korch zu because of the bond that we have established. V'cha yotzeb. So other arguments like that. So how long could she have pushed this? Probably five or six years, or with tremendous and never underestimated the power of a Jewish mother, tremendous effort, 11, 12 years old. If that's true, so what, he, became, he becomes a leader in Paris' house at 11, 12 years old? You're going to tell me that at that young age, he's already a big deal in Paro's house? How is that possible? Rashi explains. 
That's why he tells us firstly what the role was and he includes the word Moshe in the headline. The Fares Ashimam Shikrashi explains, let's first qualify what the greatness was. It was authority and, and, and responsibility in Paro's home. It's not like he became a member of the government or had authority over the country. It was a personal thing in Paro's house where he was given certain roles. That kind of greatness or that kind of appointment could even happen to a person while they're still quite young. If there is, of course, a compelling reason to appoint that person to that position, and we'll examine that compelling reason shortly. A great example of that is Yosef, who's a teenager and running the household of one of the most prominent ministers in Paro's kingdom at that time, Poitifar. So what is the compelling reason here? What prompted Paroi to be willing to give Moshe that kind of responsibility in his home when he was so young? Rashi resolves that by including in his header not only the word Vayigdal, which is the obvious word we're trying to understand, but also the word Moshe, which gives insight into the Vayigdal, why he became great. And in doing so, Rashi actually tackles another question we should have asked about why the word Moshe is in the Pasuk in the first place. Surely the word Moshe is completely superfluous in the Pasuk. We know who we're talking about. Had it only said, and he grew. We know exactly who you're talking about because of the previous Pasuk. We know you're talking about Moshe. So therefore we have no choice but to explain Why does the Torah include the name Moshe over here in this Pasuk? It's because by knowing his name Moshe When it doesn't have to be part of the sentence You mention something you don't have to mention When it is beloved to you You look for a reason to mention Especially in this context, the name Moshe was Demantas That's the name that reminds us that Bas Paroi grabbed him and schlepped him out of the water. The Gemara tells us there was a great miracle, her arm extended miraculously to reach him. So he is very precious to her. Knowing that Moshe is precious to Bas Paroi helps us understand how he suddenly gets a position in the family. That's why it says Moshe became great. He was given greatness within the family because he was so cherished by the family, or at least by Paro's daughter. Because Moshe found so much favor in Paro's daughter's eyes to the extent that she adopted him as a son, she obviously influenced her father to give him some prestigious role within the family. And again, similar to how, we, how things go with Yosef. Because he had this appeal to Poitifar, that's why Poitifar appointed him with authority over his home. Regardless of the fact that he didn't qualify because he was young and he came from the wrong tribe and he was a slave. Same kind of thing happens with Moshe. It doesn't matter where he came from, it doesn't matter. Because Bas Paru finds him to be somebody precious, therefore he gets a role in the family. 
And just to make it even easier for us to swallow, that it is appropriate to give somebody a position that they don't necessarily deserve because you find them to be beloved to you. Especially because Yosef's example is not exactly the same as Moshe's example for a simple reason. Yosef is a cold potty malt given Yosef, at the time he was given the responsibilities, was at least an older teenager. Whereas Moshe was a new teenager, maybe even a preteen. So to explain how a young person, somebody who doesn't necessarily deserve a position, gets it anyway, so <coughs> Rashi tells us, well, look who said it, Rabbi Huda Berabiloi, who was calling on his own personal experience. Because Rabbi Huda Berabiloi, the Gemara tells us about Rabbi Huda Berabiloi, as it is given a greaser on that it was incredibly impoverished. So much so, he and his wife had to share one outer garment to wear in public. And therefore, so there was a story the Gemara tells us, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel declared a public fast, and Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Loi could not participate in the communal prayers because Nidhavne came begged on to Tanevzich. He didn't have clothing to wear to be able to go. So he's an incredibly poor person. Typically, poor people are not people who are given positions of power and leadership. And yet the Gemara tells us, as the case Sarotim Dahibun to Zain, the Reish Hamadabrim Becholomokim that the head, the Roman emperor, put Rabbi Huda Rabbi Loi as the spokesperson of the entire Jewish people. He was like the, the representative of the, not only of the rabbis, but of the Nasi. The Caesar appointed him to be the head of the house of the Nasi, which is the highest position in the Jewish community. Even though he's so poor, why is that? If you look at Rabbi Huda from an outward appearance and the circumstances of his life, given in Atsiras is neat Matim Fraimino Fanarosha in Diego for Malchus, he doesn't appear to have the profile of somebody that the royalty would appoint into a position of authority. Okay, now Lazar is given a great sermon, a feeling for Glachmitander Aniem, especially when you consider that he was not only poor, but he was even considered poor compared to poor people. And nevertheless, because the king obviously liked something about him, found him to be a unique human being. He is Dafka the one who was appointed as the spokesperson and the representative of the base Nasi to the king. So Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Eloi is calling on his own experience and he says, when somebody finds you to be valuable, they upgrade you to a level that you don't necessarily deserve. And the same would apply here. Even though Moshe is very young at this point. But because of the greatness he has, which is that he is so beloved to Paro's daughter, to the point that she rescued him from the water and adopted him as a son. That's why he achieved such prestige in Paro's family and was given a position of authority. So that we really answer all of the questions. We misunderstood how young or old Moshe was when he went to Paro's palace. We misunderstood what Rashi was focused on. He was actually explaining the first Vayigdal. He was giving us context and Moshe, and we have an insight now that Moshe gets this incredible position, even though he's way too young for it. Let's translate all of that into a spiritual insight into the persona of Moshe Rabbeinu. 
Rashi, so the deeper perspective that Rashi offers us is like this. Whatever happens in the world, and in this context, whatever happens with Moshe Rabbeinu in physical terms, are all an evolution of the same spiritual reality that causes these things to happen. And if that's true of anything, then it certainly is true of Moshe Rabbeinu, who even as a human on earth, lived with the same spiritual reality that he did before his neshama descended. Why is that? Because he's a neshama datsilis. He's the highest breed of neshama that you can get. A neshama that lives still in the world of complete oneness with Hashem, the world of atsilis. So if that's true generally of Moshe, it will apply specifically to our scenario. Now that we've described that there are two elements to Moshe Rabbeinu's growth, the first is physical stature, physical height. And the second speaks to a role that he played in Paro's house. They actually represent the two key elements of Moshe Rabbeinu's spiritual makeup. To understand that, let's have a look at the Zoyar. So we'll understand it based on the Pasuk that describes Moshe's birth, which says that she became pregnant and had a son, and she saw that that son was good. So the, the Zoyar quotes a debate between two of the Kabbalists as to what exactly did she see that was so good and unique about Moshe Rabbeinu. So Rabbi Chia says, what she saw is that he was born already circumcised. On Rabbi Yossi, whereas Rabbi Yossi explains that she saw the divine presence glowing on him. Because at the time that he was born, the whole house was filled with light. Concludes the Zohar, that's why the Pasuk says, and all of the above applied. In other words, he was both born circumcised and he was born filling the house with, with light. One of the commentaries on the Zohar, that the argument between Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef is not that it's one or the other that were true. They both acknowledge that both the fact that Moshe was born with a bris and the fact that the house was filled with light, light actually happened. All they're debating is what was the property that Yochebed noted, saw, and shared. Now we've got to ask ourselves what would be behind, what would lie behind their two different opinions? Why is that Rabbi Chia focuses on the fact that he had a bris and Rabbi Yossi on the fact that the house was filled with the light of the Shekhinah? So Reb Leivik explains in his commentary on the Zoyar that Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Yossi were speaking from the perspective of their respective spiritual realities. Rabbi Chia was eris b'chinas yisoid. Rabbi Chia, who is in a sense a higher spiritual reality, the level of yisoid within Atzilus. So he focuses on the bris because the bris is related to the energy of yisoid. It's a part of the human anatomy that is associated with relationship, with bonding, and that is the nature of your sight. 
Or Rabbi Yossi Bechines Malchus, Rabbi Yossi, who is in a different spiritual reality, he lives in the world of Malchus. So he focuses on the fact that the Shechina Divine Presence was there because the Shechina is the dimension of Malchus. On the Siyamoyinin in Zohar, the way the, the Zohar concludes the conversation that that's what the Pasuk means when it says Kitov, and both of them replied, is Nid von Tivir Rabbi Yossi. That's not Rabbi Yossi speaking at that point. Now the Stamma von Zohar Fritois has already given by him Beidin Yonim Kanal, Uchidele Kamon. The Zohar is concluding and clarifying for us that actually both opinions are valid. The Asbore in Oasis Pshutois says, let's try and understand this in more accessible terms. When we speak about the greatness of Moshe, we'll find two areas of greatness. There is Moshe's greatness as Moshe Rabbeinu. He is, as the Rambam describes, the most incredible human being who ever lived. He's completely aloof from anything to do with this world. He's completely connected and one with Hashem. He opens his mouth and the Divine Presence speaks. That is one reality of Moshe. Then, then there's another reality of Moshe, and that is that he is the exceptional uh, um, shepherd of the Jewish people. Which means that he supplied everything the Jewish people needed materially and spiritually. And through the Jewish people, actually brought bracha to the entire world. And obviously that implies that Moshe has to step out and step down from his very deep, profound spiritual reality in order to be able to engage the world. Both of these incredible properties of Moshe Rabbeinu were evident as he was born. Like the Medjur says, Moshe Hoyoroye. You could translate that as he was shepherding or he was a shepherd, says the Medrash. Right from the beginning when he was born, he was already suited to be this shepherd of souls. That is represented in the two things that Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Yossi describe about the so-called beauty and goodness of Moshe's birth. The fact that we say Moshe was born already brist, describes that Moshe in and of himself is at an incredibly high level. A way that he lives in a completely supernatural reality because it's not natural to be born that way. To be born already circumcised is not natural. And therefore, what does that mean? That means that his nefshad kiss shone so brightly right through his whole reality. Without the barriers represented by the foreskin, which represents the concealment of the Yitzhara. He had none of that. The neshama shines right through from day one. On the other hand, whereas Rabbi Yosef's opinion, which is that he drew into his world this light of the Shekhinah that then illuminated the whole house, that describes his greatness in terms of influence and impact on the entire world. On the river, now we can understand why Rabbi Chia goes for the bris and Rabbi Yossi goes for the shechina. Because mitzad bechinas yisoid was is ba'atzilas hechafani vroim. When you're looking from Rabbi Chia's perspective, the world of atzilas, the level of yisoid which is still within atzilas, completely beyond the world. Then what you focus on is that to live in this world, the ultimate is to be completely connected to Hashem even while you're in this world. In other words, to be the greatest of people. Moshe is born already with a bris, he's the greatest of people. 
It illustrates the fact that he's completely not a citizen of the normal world. Therefore, Rabbi Chia, who represents that reality, says, that what is the Torah focused on over here? It's the fact that he was born with a bris, his personal greatness. But if you're looking from the perspective of Malchus, what is the role of Malchus? The role of Malchus is to allow other things to exist and to give them life. So then that's the kind of Avoid Hashem that is prioritized from a Malchus perspective. What is the greatness of a person's spirituality? Their ability to influence and touch and illuminate others. Therefore, Rabbi Yossi, who lives in the reality of Malchus, says, What does he identify as Moshe's greatness, as the symbol of Moshe's greatness? The fact that he illuminates his surroundings. That's his greatness. Not only is it a great thing to be able to influence, touch, and illuminate others, it's actually the greatest thing. It's even greater than a person having their own internal spiritual worth. Just as things are on high, that Abish's infinite power, which comes from Hashem's essence, that doesn't depend on anything else in order to exist. Where do we find the Ebrishter's essence illustrated most powerfully? Dafkin, the level of Malchus. In the Savas von Yeshva Dovanifra, the ability to create something that looks and feels independent. Which is something that exists in the lower worlds, not in the ten spheres of Atzilas. In other words, where do you see Hashem's greatness? Just as the Ebrishter is truly independent, does not rely on anything to exist. So where do you see Hashem's greatness expressed? In the creation of things, of beings that feel that they're independent. So there's greater elikus in the Malchus experience than in the Yesod experience. There's greater elikus in the illumination than there is in the self-growth. That's how it is down here. What is the greatest advantage that a person has if they can share with others, touch others, elevate others? Which, yes, outwardly looks like the person has had to step off their spiritual pedestal in order to achieve this, but it's actually the greatest achievement. And Rashi hints at this too. Why? Because he quotes Rabbi Rabbi saying that the first step of Moshe's description is his own greatness and the second is the authority he has of others. is such a unique individual. He appreciates the value of both realities. Not that Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef we each one appreciated the value of one reality. He appreciates both. He identifies with the value of a person's own growth represented by the increased height that Moshe had in the first Vayigdal. And he also recognizes the value to be able to have greatness which allows you to influence others like Paro appoints him over his, over his home. Why Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Eloi? So let's explain more deeply who Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Loi is. We'll compare him to Rabbi Yossi and explain why he sees things differently. The chiluk between Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Loi and Rabbi Yossi is the distinction between these two great personalities, Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Loi and Rabbi Yossi, is beides in yolam adigos and sfiras amalchos. What they have in common is they both represent and live in the reality of malchos. 
How do we know that? Because Rabbi Yossi is a gematria lekim. Rabbi Yossi, the name Yossi has the same gematria value as, as a lekim. Vashem lekim geitef malchus. That's the divine name that is associated with the production of nature, which is malchus. On Rabbi Yehuda, the word Yehuda is m'lashen hoidoa ubitel. It's from the word of acknowledgement and surrender and complete uh, bitel. Which is what Malchus is all about. Malchus It doesn't have any identity of its own. It surrenders to the input that it receives from higher and more developed realities. So Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi are both Malchus, but different perspectives of Malchus. Rabbi Yosef lives in the reality of how Malchus has already become enclosed within the independent reality known as Bria Yitzir and Asiyah. Whereas Rabbi Huda Rabbi Eloi experiences Malchus while it is still incorporated in the oneness of Atzilus. By the way, that's also alluded to in their names. Because Rabbi Yossi is Bigematria Elikim. What does that mean? Dalsais means two things. Number one, Aleph says, No Shem Elikim Unichem Avaya. The first thing is that Rabbi Yossi only connects with the name Elikim and has no clear connection with the name Havaya. And even his connection with Elikim is not something which is obvious. You have to, you have to work it out from a Gematria, which implies that it's fundamentally hidden. Whereas the name Yehuda has Yudke Vavke in it, clearly for all to see. And that explains their different perspectives. When you're looking through Rabbi Yossi's eyes, which is the perspective of Malchus already involved in the realities of the created worlds, there you see that the greatest thing you could possibly do is lead, influence, and elevate other people. Whereas Rabbi Huda Rabbi who is looking from the perspective of Malchus, but with a very clear awareness of the Ebeshe, Yudke Vavke, beyond the natural order, uh, sorry, V Malchus state in Atsilis, that's Malchus as it is in Atsilis, Mitzadi Daga Hensechon Beidin Yonimomailas. So Rabbi Huda Rabbi can see both realities. For no insight is Malchus On the one hand, Malchus is completely connected to the higher spheres because without them it has nothing of its own, so it's completely reliant on them and therefore completely one with them. And on the other hand, Malchus is completely about providing to the other and bringing to life all the other worlds. Which means to engage with and come down to the level of separate or disconnected beings. Let's say it in different words. Malchus on the one hand has this element of extreme bitl, complete surrender to Hashem. Which translates into what a Jewish king is meant to be. Somebody has the most extreme submission to Hashem. When it comes to the Amidah, unlike us, when he bows at the beginning, he has to stay bowed for the entire time. And yet at the same time he has to be a king who is somebody obviously who has prestige and elevation over the people in order to influence, lead and guide them. That's why you can speak to both topics, both greatnesses of Moshe Rabbeinu. His personal development and greatness, which is the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu is 24-7 completely connected to Hashem. Which puts him at a level that is actually fundamentally beyond anything or anyone else. That's described in Harishim Lakoima, his own personal growth. 
on oich is also able to identify the shlemus in hashpah v'snasas v'azulas. The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu is also highly successful is having an influence over other people, and that is hasheni l'gedulah sheminei paral beisoi. What Rabbi Yudah Brebiloi says that the second vayigdal means that he was great in the context of being able to have authority over others, not just others, but over Paroi's family as well.